0: Well, welcome, dressed listeners, to another edition of Fashion History. Now, it's been a while since it's just been you and I uh, yeah. talking about fashion history now happenings. But it's November 2020, April, and Dolly Parton has saved the world. I know. It's so <laughs> exciting! Is there anything that woman cannot do? I swear. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, we're being a little dramatic, perhaps, but I, I would say April and I are huge Dolly Parton fans, and we joined mm-hmm. millions and not billions of her fans around the world who were just so thrilled to hear that she donated a million dollars to COVID research. And we're just here for it. I mean, that woman is just incredible. Yeah.
1: Have you seen all the memes going around about this? Yes. (laughs) Instead of Jolene, 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 it's vaccine, vaccine, vaccine.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then my friend posted this video where this girl was like getting a COVID shot. And she's like, is that the Dolly Parton COVID vaccine? (laughs) Um, And I would totally be that person. Is that the one Dolly Parton co-funded? But the story is so amazing. And April, I don't know if we talked about on the show, but we both were huge fans of that nine part, series and podcast mm-hmm. about her life and legacy called Dolly Parton's America. And dress listeners, if you have not checked this out, it's an incredible, docu- um, not a documentary, although there is a documentary out about her right now, but um, it's a podcast and so well produced and it's produced by Jad Abumrod. Of Radio Lab fame, which
1: is one of our very favorite podcasts also.
0: Yeah. I may or may not have sent him fan mail one time. <laughs> He did an excellent job producing this and he knows Dolly because Dolly is friends with his father yeah. who she met after a car accident and it's that relationship that actually led to Dolly donating this money for the COVID research. So Yeah,
1: because her, his father is a doctor.
0: Yeah, exactly. And um they formed this special bond and it's just a beautiful story and and you know just a really nice thing to come out of 2020 to hear about at least obviously not the reasons that she needed to donate to COVID research mm-hmm. but um Dolly, we love you. And then that leads me to one of my first things to talk about today is because she was on Vogue.com talking about her most memorable fashion moments from her career that began with Jolene in 1974. Dolly Parton is just a joy, as April and I love to say. She's a national treasure, international Mm -hmm. treasure. But some of my favorite quotes, of course, from Dolly is, more is more, and whoever made up less is more is full of it. (laughs) It costs, she's really famous for saying it costs a lot of money to look this cheap. Um, and she's just, she, she says in that uh, article that was written by Christian Allaire, who was just on the show a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, that she's never thought of herself as being fashionable, but obviously she has such a huge legacy and such a huge style legacy. I mean, she's instantly recognizable, so... We love yeah. you, Dolly.
1: Yay, Dolly. And, and again, <laughs> we've reached out. You've reached out, Cass, but maybe maybe she will come on the show someday. It'd be <gasps> oh my gosh, that would be amazing. I um, think we would just both cry the entire episode. Exactly, for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then I will say, Dress Sisters, that Steel Magnolia is streaming on Amazon. I just watched that. And then there is a new documentary about her called Here I Am on Netflix. So if you're a Dolly Parton fan, or maybe if you're not and you just want to know why the world loves her, These are easy ways to find out. Yes.
1: Well, this kind of segues straight into one of the things that I want to talk about. You said more is more. Have you heard about this new trend for lip art? I have not. Oh. Well, some of you who are um, big makeup fans or follow a lot of makeup artists um, on Instagram may already know about this. But the Fashion and Beauty Monitor had this whole Article about the top lip artists. And this is the most amazing, intricate, incredible work that you have ever seen. There are all these makeup artists out there who are using their lips or other people's lips as teeny tiny canvases. Um, So we're talking um, people like Miss Jasmina Daniel, and that's at Jasmina with a Z. D, that's her Instagram handle she has 1.2 million followers which is pretty wow. incredible and she's actually an Australian but she's living in LA and you know some of the looks that she does on lips which are frequently her own um, she did one look with Edward hands painted on her lips.
0: Wow. Um,
1: she does a lot of pop culture ones. Like one was a Christmas one for the Grinch. And she talked about how it took like six hours because she couldn't get his face just right. I mean, we're a full on little vignette like painted in the space of your lips. Um, She did one that was Jaws. She's one of many of these lip artists um, that are like kind of like rising to Instagram fame right now. But she has a really interesting kind of backstory. She actually started several years ago when she was 14. I think she's 20 now because she had a brain tumor and she was receiving treatment. And she had a lot of downtime when she wasn't in school. So she just kind of picked up this art and, and started teaching herself. And then there's a couple others that I'd really like to mention just as really good Fun, fun, fun Instagram follows. There's also Ryan Kelly, and her Instagram handle is Ryan R Y A N Kelly, K E L L Y M U A, which of course stands for makeup artist. And she, again, also does a lot of these kind of pop culture references. Cass, you will love this one. One of her designs is a portrait of Britney Spears dressed up in her Hit Me Baby (laughs) One More Time ensemble. Wow. It is like incredible. She has another one that's 90210 themed and it has Brenda, Dylan, and Kelly. Oh my
0: goodness. All
1: painted on lips. And she oftentimes pairs it with like a piece of nail art that kind of like coordinates or like deepens the story a little
0: bit. These little vignettes. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to look this up immediately. I Googled it as soon as you said you you brought it up. And I mean, a couple of the things that came up are not even remotely that intricate as you're talking about. But there is one of these like, this person created an eye over the lips, complete with the eyelashes and everything, and it looks like a real eye on their lips. It's yeah, crazy. It's
1: it's like crazy painting. Um, and then I just have one more that I want to mention because uh, her work is a little bit different. Her name is Vlada Haggerty, and that's her Instagram handle is at V-L-A-D-A-M-U-A. You know, again, makeup artist. And Vlada does a lot more kind of like surreal designs. So sometimes the entire lips are completely covered in crystals. Um, Some of her designs are like that trompe l'oeil, kind of faking the eye type motifs. And she also specializes in some of these looks where it looks like the lips are like melting, like they're gold or rose gold or silver or platinum. And uh, art, just straight up art right there on your face.
0: Yeah. And that actually reminds me of the Netflix show, Glow Up, which is all about, it's like a makeup artist competition, and it is so good. I got my husband watching it. We're just hooked. I think there's two seasons. But you cannot believe how talented people are with makeup artistry and the things that they can do and just transform people's bodies into canvases. I mean, literally, the body's a canvas that they can do whatever they want with, and 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 you would just, you, you the sky's the limit, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, So it sounds like people are doing that with the lips too.
1: Yeah, and I thought it was really interesting that this is especially gaining more and more popularity in light of the fact of COVID, right? Because the lips is something that we're not seeing when we go out in public, if you go out in public. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I was just thinking that that was really quite fascinating. And if you don't mind me doing my next one, that actually leads into exactly my next thing, which is, have you heard of Mask Alike? I have not. (laughs) Okay. So we're talking about like lips, makeup artists. Well, if even if those are covered up, there's this company that got launched in early 2020, you know, right after everybody started wearing masks. It's called Mask Alike. And you can check them out at maskalike.com. And basically what they did is they figured out how for that you could submit a photo of your face, and then, using computer technology to kind of warp and wrap that design, they can print the bottom half on your face on your mask, <laughs> so if you want to smile or you can want to stick out your tongue or whatever, but it like it like fills in that bottom oh part my of gosh, your face. how interesting,
0: and what a kind of mess that probably messes with your mind when you see someone walking <laughs> towards you and you're like really confused about why their face is just staying. <laughs> the same.
1: Yeah, and and they say that it originally started out as a joke that went viral, but but now it's very real and they have they're not offering for sale yet. You can see examples of them on the site, but I think they're kind of in that point where they're trying to scale up, you know, get ready for that onslaught of demand, which they probably know is definitely going to happen because they're very very
0: cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean so many masks so little time, right? At this point it's kind of amazing. What else do you have? I have a couple things to watch, um, recommendations to watch. I simultaneously am watching The Queen's Gambit and mm-hmm. The Crown on Netflix, um, which if our listeners are not watching, either of those things are actually quite different. The Queen's Gambit follows this young chess prodigy who um, is an orphan. She gets adopted and she's just incredible. And it's like kind of her rise to fame, but she also struggles with alcohol abuse and substance abuse. And it's set in the 50s. 50s and then the 60s, and her outfits just increasingly, as she becomes more and more successful, her outfits become increasingly more and more fashionable and stylish. So that's really yeah. fun. And she
1: definitely likes to shop.
0: Like oh, he, yeah. As she becomes more and more famous.
1: <laughs> She shops more and
0: more. <laughs> and then um, the costume designer for that is Gabriel Binder. And then the costume designer for The Crown is Amy Roberts. The Crown's now in its fourth season. And I'm going to have to admit that I skipped season two and three to get to four because this is when Princess <laughs> Di makes her debut. <laughs> and all I have to say that the costume designers have done such an amazing job really replicating actual clothing that she wore. And so you see time and time again, if you look at Princess Diana on this tour of Australia or her wedding dress, for example, I mean, it's so incredible. And I by researching this a little bit more, the Brooklyn Museum actually has a virtual exhibit which highlights costumes from both of the shows. It's up until the 13th and it's virtual. So you literally walk into the museum and then you can walk around and see these different costumes. And one of my favorites is, of course, the wedding dress, the Princess Di wedding dress, which is this... The definition of a Cinderella princess dress complete with the train and and the poofy sleeves. Yeah, but have you seen that episode? Yeah, it had way too little screen time. I was so disappointed. I wanted more. No. I'm only <laughs> up to I'm only up to the point where um because I had to
1: finish season three. I hadn't finished season three. So I'm only up to the point now where they um he just met Diana and they're just now starting to date. Oh, okay, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have I have a few more episodes to go, but I was up late last
0: night watching it, so. <laughs> well, it, it was really cool because um, as the exhibition text says about the dress, is there were key real-life moments the costume team adhered to in recreating iconic looks Diana wore, and the famous wedding dress, though not an exact replica, captured the same spirit and style of the iconic design that was originally designed by the husband and wife team, David and Elizabeth Emanuel. Costume designer Amy uh, Roberts and David spoke in depth, apparently, about the original sketches and designs that were featured and the press release issued on the day of the wedding. And the text says he was fantastically collaborative and helpful to the design team and talked through the details of many of the original drawings. And this costume, not the original dress, although the original dress certainly took this amount of time, if not more, the costume took three people, four weeks, and 600 hours to create, like wow. I said, not enough screen time, Netflix producers, <laughs> not enough screen time. And then, but my favorite part of Princess Di's original ensemble that wasn't featured in the show were her shoes. Um, Princess Di's original shoes were covered in 542 sequins, 132 pearls, beautifully handmade and handcrafted. And they had the initials C and D on them. Um, so, anyways, really cool exhibit. And we'll put a link in the show notes for you to check it out.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I saw that. And I I, I, I walked around in it virtually. Day.
0: <laughs> and they even have like music and people walking around you, which to like recreate the exhibit experience. So check it out. I'd be interested to hear what people think.
1: Yeah. What else do you have? I, I, my last thing I kind of want to save until the very end.
0: Well, just a couple other things that people should watch. We haven't been on here for a while. So we, we missed talking about the spring um, and summer 2021 collections, although they are because it's so... Such an unprecedented time. Collections are still coming out. Gucci just is releasing slowly their line through several videos. So so many people are getting really creative with it. But I think you and you will agree with me in saying that one of the most creative and coolest collections of this season was Jeremy Scott's Spring Summer 2021 collection. Oh
1: yes. I keep forgetting we haven't talked about that.
0: Yeah. And it's all marionettes. It's completely 100%. He scaled down all of the pieces from his collection and put them on marionette dolls that are based on real models. He even has fashion editors, like Hamish Bowles and Anna Winter also had their own marionettes. And Edward Innenfull, et cetera, are sitting in the audience. So the collection was really an homage to fashion and fashion history, and to the post-World War II exhibition, Teatro de la mode, which had similarly small dolls, scaled-down fashion dolls that toured America, and it was really a fundraiser for, um, we've talked about this on the show a little bit, but it was a fundraiser for the French fashion industries, and all of these French haute couturiers contributed scaled-down fashion. So um, you know, he's, he's really speaking, it's like a commentary on fashion history, but also kind of where fashion is going, what will fashion become, the art and craft of fashion. So, so the much. So much the of fashion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and check it out if you haven't. It's just simply magical. Yeah,
1: I think that there seems to be a little uh, stream of surrealism uh, flowing through, our the things that we're talking about
0: today. <laughs> I think people need that fantasy. I mean, that's COVID for you. I think if you're gonna, you need to escape, right? And fashions mm-hmm. want to definitely make up art as all a way to express, you know, react to the world around you, but also escape it. Mm -hmm. One of the things I thought was very charming about that collection was the puppets
1: that were depicting specific people. Jeremy sent them to them as gifts. So on Hamish's Instagram, there were some images of him like opening up this box
0: and it was the puppet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's so good. Check it out immediately. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I have a couple other things I think people should read. Some magazine covers and uh, magazine um, fashion spreads that we need to talk about a little bit. One is Essence Magazine, starring Zendaya, Um, recently paying homage to Danielle Luna. And if you don't know who Danielle Luna is, and I realized upon writing this that maybe we should just do an episode about her. Um, She's really considered to be the first Black supermodel. She was the first Black model on any issue of Vogue magazine, Um, She appeared on British Vogue magazine in 1966. She's a really iconic model from the 1960s. Unfortunately, she died way too young at the age of 33 in 1979, but she lived a really colorful life as a model and actress, just really an incredible woman and talent that uh, Zendaya is paying homage to in a really cool way too. I mean, really replicating some of her most iconic looks.
1: Yeah, and I think we mentioned her name on the show like in passing, but that would be a really fun, full-length episode to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, of course, Harry Styles' now controversial cover of Vogue. I'd, we have to talk about that. Why is briefly. this even <laughs> controversial
1: anymore? Come on.
0: Well, it's more controversial because he's the first male, if you don't know, dress listeners, he's the first male cover star in the magazine's 120-plus year history. But th- what's controversial is, yes, of course, theres he's wearing a dress. And yes, there's a lot of people who are upset with a man wearing a dress, Um, but there's also people who are upset that Vogue decided to make this statement a non-gender-conforming fashion with a white cis male, when so many queer men, trans, or non-gender-conforming individuals have been breaking this barrier for years upon years. It would have Mm -hmm. been such a more powerful statement to have had someone like Billy Porter on the cover, all these people who are already breaking down those gender barriers, Jaden Smith, Will Smith's son has been wearing skirts for years. The fact that Harry Styles did it, he's such a huge superstar. It's going to obviously have a huge impact, especially with younger individuals. You can see that. Yeah. yeah. Controversy, controversy (laughs) upon controversy.
1: (laughs) Speaking of controversies, (laughs) do you want to talk about the Vanessa Friedman article?
0: Oh, yes. We have to talk about the Vanessa <laughs> Friedman article, uh, and dress listeners, you have to go read it. It's called The Incredible Whiteness of the Museum Fashion Collection. And again, this came out a couple months ago now, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it was the end of September, I think. It's still being talked about a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and so basically, our question for you dress listeners is, what do Chanel, Givenchy, Paré, Yves Saint Laurent, Scaparelli, Dior, Vienna, what do they all have in common? <laughs> <laughs> I think we all know the answer to that. They're all white. <laughs> yes. Beloved Ocoutiers, favorites of museum fashion collectors um, and people around the world, and they're all white. And, um, and that's the whole point of Vanessa's article, right, is that fashion collections are predominantly made of up of, of white designers. Um, she gives the example of the Palais Galliera, which has a 200,000 piece fashion collection, only 77 of 200,000 pieces, 77 pieces. Mm -hmm. are created by Black designers. that's a problem. Yep. And I think a lot of them are Patrick Kelly, because he was, of course, working in Paris. Mm Mm-hmm. And that goes for the Met, the V&A, and London. And really, we'll just read a snippet of it. Um, She says, Since the George Floyd killing and the social justice uprisings of the summer, there has been a lot of discussions in fashion about the industry's systemic racism and its failure to identify and promote talent of color. A lot of justifiable scrutiny has fallen on companies and trade associations, but what happens when the major cultural institutions, like these museums, charged with sanctifying what defines quote-unquote fashion, don't include work from Black designers? What messages does that send about who gets to participate in this particular art form and whose work Matters Just because museums are custodians of the past does not absolve them of responsibility for the present. And in that sense, their collections and the sins of omission enshrined therein speak to the very essence of current problems.
1: Yes. And to this end, my friends, just yesterday, just yesterday, as part of Fashion Studies Alliance, we actually organized a group action. Because I'm one of the founding board members of Fashion Studies Alliance, and we were talking one day about how everybody's getting Zoom fatigue, right? And we definitely wanted to address this issue, but we didn't just want it to be yet another conversation, just yet another discussion. So we did this really cool thing where uh, we put out an open call to the public to select an item that they felt would help diversify museum collections um, to write a little 150-word paragraph about it. And then we all got together yesterday for like almost two hours and presented back and forth specific objects. And then we kind of followed that up with a little bit more in-depth discussion um, about what are the barriers to some of these things actually entering uh, museum collections? What are some of the kind of like structural issues within how museums themselves are kind of siloed within departments, right? So we have fashion and textile collections versus like, you know, the African department versus the Latin art, you know, department. And where's the crossover between these? And and just some of the like bigger topics of of museum studies that kind of impact how these objects do or do not enter collections. So, it was it was really it was really interesting. I think I think one of the big takeaways that we all kept coming back to is this notion of value. Right. Right. So, so within within museum collections, a lot of times the accession process has focused on the monetary value of something, or maybe even like the the value of the handcraft um, that went into something. But a lot of times, perhaps what gets lost is cultural value. You know, the storytelling aspect of what comes into museum collections. So, so it was. It was a really fascinating discussion. And and we're this was just the first action that we're going to do. We're actually going to plan some more actions on this same thing as we move into 2021. And we're actually hoping and already planning to kind of in tandem work with some museum collections directly on this. So if you want to learn more about Fashion Studies Alliance or if you want to join some of our events or just join as a member, you can check out what we do over there at fashionstudiesalliance.org.
0: Yeah, and I highly recommend joining. You don't have to be a fashion scholar necessarily. It's it's for people all across the fashion industry, people interested in fashion, people studying fashion. I was at the panel. It was really amazing. Um, you had international contributions from museum professionals, but also students, scholars, curators, conservators. Valerie Steele came. I know, Valerie Steele came, which was <laughs> so, so amazing to see her there. Yeah, for them to be a part of this conversation really speaks to, you know, the value to be had in and really changing the way museums collect and approach fashion and define fashion. I think that was something I really wanted to talk about a little bit more. But like you said, it's part two so many of these museums, it's how they define fashion and fashion's so often defined within this Eurocentric, Euro-American focus that it does highlight and feature predominantly white designers. If you change what fashion is defined as, that really opens up the entire world because fashion systems are to be found in the entire world. And obviously those are really huge stories to be told, but these are conversations we need to have because what happens is By labeling something as not fashion or as quote-unquote traditional to a culture, it's essentially relegated, right? It's not fashionable, it's not as cool, it's not as exciting, it's not modern. And those are colonial narratives that we need to break down and change. And some of the objects that were presented yesterday addressed that like
1: head-on directly, which was really, it was a really interesting discussion.
0: So, oh, yeah. Um, and I have to give a shout out to Johanna Zanon. I apologize um, if I mispronounced her name, but she's a French fashion historian, the first one up of the day. And who does she submit, April? But Hyland Booker. Booker. <laughs> I, I wanted to tell her so bad, but I'm like, okay, maybe I'll send her a side note. But he's, I'm, we should send him a note and let Hyland know that he was featured in this discussion. And she was really basically saying that he's an overlooked Black fashion designer who helmed, you know, this really prestigious house. We, of course, interviewed him in our very first episode, and more recently with his wife Charlotte in Advanced Dress in our Advanced Style episode. But that was really cool to see mm-hmm. Hyland come up. And it just goes to show that there's so many stories out there that can be, you know, need to be told. And it's it just enriches everything we thought we knew. Like, we all know... The stories of YSL and Chanel, you know, let's, let's find and discover these new people. And that was what was so exciting. And I do want to give a shout out, too, to another of your guests, which was Damien Joel, who's this oh, fashion yeah. designer who is going to have to come on the show. He's doing such cool work. Such he, cool he, work.
1: He, I, and he considers himself a fashion storyteller, not necessarily a designer. So, And I was asking him some questions because I feel like his, he does make clothing and they're It's gorgeous, but it's so much more than that, that it almost like crosses into that realm of contemporary art. And also he's like a really wonderful image maker as well. So, yeah, we should definitely have him on the show.
0: Yeah, and he's doing like pre-loved garments, upcycling, and he's like reinterpreting clothing and subverting clothing to... Um, He's like, one of his messages was about, like, subverting slavery's traumatic history and past and reclaiming that narrative and doing it in this really beautiful way. And he was there. He he had a couple of his models there that were speaking to his work. It was just a really, really incredible event. And I can't wait for part two. And our listeners should definitely join. Yes, more to come, more to come, more to come on that. We're going to take
1: a little break, though, over the holidays because, you know, we need that, so— 2021, there'll be more of those types of events happening. For sure. And speaking of break and the holidays, I just want to remind you all out there to please, please, please try to think about in this moment, some of your local designers when you're purchasing gifts for people or or just, you know, some small artisanal makers. Um, I I bring this up because I was really heartbroken a few weeks ago when uh, one of my favorite designers, Burke Gold, who runs um, a Mexican fashion brand called Alma, which is A-L-M-A, uh, he sent us a little note that he was having to shut Alma down because of uh, everything that happened because of COVID. And I was just like, no, 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 no. I mean, I have so many of his pieces um, and he does like these really spectacular silver jewelry, again, with the surrealist theme. I promise I didn't mean to do this, Um, but a lot of his pieces are about food or
0: seafood. His taco bags are amazing, yeah. (laughs)
1: He has little taco bags that are all hand-woven from grass, and then, like, I have one of his crab necklaces and it's like a giant crab around your neck but his work is really great so there are these people out there that continue to need our support so so think of the small designers please if you when if you're going to be doing holiday gifting this year and if you want to check out um uh, Burke's work as it winds down um his website is wearealma.mx
0: Yeah, for sure. And I keep telling people too, it's like, if you have, if you still have your job and you still have your money, just because your hair salon's not open or your nail salon in New Mexico right now, we're in complete shutdown. You can still support these artists by sending them money as you would have. I mean, we've really got to show up for each other and support each other during this difficult time, if you can. And especially now more than ever, these small designers, artisans who just depend on these yearly markets everything's online right now. So let's all show up for each other and do what we can during this incredibly difficult time. Yes, for sure.
1: Um, Not to end it on a sad note, but I don't have anything else.
0: How about you? <laughs> I know. I should have ended it on Dolly. Just go watch out. Go watch <laughs> Dolly. Go listen to the Dolly podcast. Um, Go check out this lip art, um, go check out these articles. Um, we've given mm-hmm. you plenty to do, dress listeners. Thank you so much for joining us as we begin slowly to wind down towards the end of season three. We're not there yet. Nope, few more episodes left. Yes, yes, yes. And um, we have some really exciting guests coming up. So. Very
1: exciting guests.
0: <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs>
1: All right, well, that does it for us this week, Dress listeners. Please tune in this coming Tuesday for our full-length episode. And if you would like to submit a question to us for a future fashion history mystery episode where we answer your queries, please feel free to DM us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast.
0: Or you can also email us at dressed at iheartmedia.com. And thank you, as always, to our producers, Holly Fry, Casey Pegram, and everyone else at iHeartRadio that makes this show possible each and every week. And of course, thank you to our listeners. We love you. Catch you on Tuesday. Bye. Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.